Hey there! I'm really glad that you've come to check out the KZMC Weekly Teaching. My name is Ryan Yancey and I'm the lead pastor. KZMC gathers together for worship every Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. in person. You can also join us by our live stream available on YouTube. If you're from the area and you're not already connected to a church, we'd love to have you come join us. You can find the full details at kzmc.ca. It's my hope and it's my prayer that God will speak to you through this teaching. May you have a marvelous day. Good morning. My name's Kevin and uh, I have the great privilege of being one of the pastors of Cornerstone Community Church. And today is uh, unique in several ways. I've never recorded a sermon in a, a plum orchard before. And I've also never preached to two congregations at once. And I want to acknowledge uh, that uh, this morning, uh, this teaching will be uh, for the Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church, as well as for our home congregation at Cornerstone. Kingsfield Zurich is one of the newest uh, churches to belong to our family of churches, the Mennonite Brethren Conference in Ontario. Their pastor, Ryan Yancey, isn't feeling well. I understand he's had a concussion and, uh, and so, Pastor Ryan, if you're seeing this, uh, we're praying for you and asking uh, for God's favor on you. And it's really an honor for us to uh, participate in worship with your congregation as well this morning. I read uh, this morning from uh, Richard Foster, who, who wrote that in life, there is the ultimate goal of life is to fall in love with Jesus over and over and over again. Nothing is more central. Nothing is more important. Nothing is more critical than to fall in love with Jesus over and over again. And so that has been the goal of our teaching series that we, are, that we began on Good Friday that we're just simply calling Savior, where we're looking at what does it mean that Jesus has saved us from our sins? What are the various biblical pictures that uh, we have in the scripture of what, is, what Jesus accomplished for us in his death and resurrection? And our goal in all of this, is that we as a people would love Jesus more, that our loyal love for Jesus and our allegiance to him would deepen as our hearts are warm to him, as our hearts go out for him, and that we would live in the joy of all that he has done for us. And so we've seen the biblical picture of Jesus, our sacrifice, that Jesus is our victor. And last Sunday, we looked at the truth that Jesus is our redeemer, this morning, my call is to uh, preach on this biblical theme, this picture that Jesus is our healer. That when we say that Jesus has saved us from our sins, one of the ways the Bible describes that for us is that he is a healer for us. And so I'm going to invite you to take a copy of the scripture and to turn to John chapter 5, John's gospel, chapter 5. And we're going to camp out in this passage of scripture this morning. Now, when we say when we talk about sickness or we talk about injury or disease, we're, uh, we have this idea that really that um, there, for some reason, whether it's a, an infection, whether that it's an injury, whether there's some parts of our, our body or our mind that are not working uh, together or not working properly as they're designed to, that we're not able to function at our full capacity. That's what it really means to be sick. That we're not able, we're not at full strength. That we're not able to do all the things that we would normally be able to do. The things that we're designed to do. And so healing, whether from an injury, whether from a disease, from a sickness. Healing is this restoration 
to that capacity that we had when we, before we were sick. It's a restoration, a renewal of strength. And, and, there, and, and just imagine and just think back to the relief that you feel after you're well again, after you've been healed from an illness. There's really, in my, in my view, no greater feeling in all the world than the feeling of relief, than the feeling of restoration. Think of the relief from a fever, when the fever breaks. Think of maybe you've had a pain and, and the pain goes away. Oh, isn't that a great feeling? That feeling of relief. And the, the scriptures would teach us that sin has diminished our capacities. That sin has infected us and all creation and has diminished. It has, uh, it's infected us and corrupted us in, in ways that were not all that we were meant to be. When God originally designed humanity and God designed this world and, and all creation, that, that what we have is diminished capacities that requires healing and that Jesus has come to heal and to restore. And in John's gospel in chapter 5, we have um, what uh, my Bible, my translation reveals as the third sign. John's gospel, if you're familiar with it at all, is organized around seven signs that Jesus performs. There are seven uh, activities or signs that, that John calls them signs that Jesus uh, does that point to who he is. And John tells us at the end of his gospel in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, he says, Jesus did many other signs that the disciples witnessed that are not written of in this book. But these are written. These signs are written for this reason. So that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in his name. And so uh, this is the third sign. It's called the healing of the man by Bethesda. It's the third sign out of seven. Seven signs, and if you're familiar with Jewish culture and biblical literature, seven is always the number of completion, perfection, wholeness. Um, and so there's a complete picture that John wants us to, pit, to, to paint of Jesus and, and what he's accomplished for us. And this is the third sign the, the, uh, of Jesus in John's gospel. And so let's turn to John in chapter 5. And I'm going to read uh, for us the first fi- uh, 16 verses. And, uh, but then I'm going to invite you to keep your Bible open because after we read the discourse, we're going to dive into some of the, or the, the, the sign. We're going to look at some of the discourse that happens after in the rest of cha- John chapter 5 where Jesus really unpacks for us what he has accomplished in the healing of this man. So John chapter 5, after this, a Jewish festival took place and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there's a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man who was there had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. 
Now that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk? They asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. This is God's word to us. This sign points to us as Jesus, as the healer. This is a sign that points to us that Jesus is the healer. I'm sure you could pick that up, right, in the text. Jesus heals this man. But I, what I love about this passage uh, and the rest of John chapter 5 is that really there's three levels of healing that are unveiled for us. That Jesus is the healer in at least three, at at least three different levels uh, for us. So, first of all, there's physical healing. That Jesus has authority and power over sickness. That's clear in the text, right? Jesus has authority and power over sickness, and he still does today. I believe that with all my heart, that Jesus still has the authority and the power to heal. You see, the the scripture is not a record of what God used to do, but I believe with all my heart that the scripture is a record of what God stands ready to do among a people who are receptive to him. And so Jesus has always had authority over sickness, over disability. And so when you are sick, you're invited to pray for healing. You're invited to ask Jesus to heal. And he's, in fact, gifted some people to to be able to pray in, in particular ways, with particular power, with spiritual gift of healing. And so the James chapter 5 says, when you're sick... Call for the elders. They'll anoint you with oil that you may be healed, that you may be well. Now, I don't believe Jesus intends to heal everyone physically all the time. There were a lot of people at the pool of Bethesda that day. But uh, Jesus just healed the one of them. He just healed one man. He says in uh, verse 17, my father is still working and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he's doing, and he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So Jesus is saying, I I do what the father does calls me to do. I'm doing only what's in the Father's heart for me to do, and the Father's telling me what to do. And so, for whatever reason, it was the Father's will to heal this man on this day, but it wasn't the Father's will to heal everyone that was around the pool that day. The, The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 talks about the thorn in the flesh, right? Now, he asked, he prayed in faith, asking a, a number of times for this thorn to be removed. And, and God says, my power is displayed in weakness. I'm not going to remove that from you. 
You're going to display my glory by me satisfying you in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this struggle. And, and so sometimes God's call on us is to pray for healing and miraculously he heals us. Sometimes he uses the means of medicine and, and science and, and all of that. Sometimes his will for us is that we would glorify him in the midst of sickness, in the midst of, of, of trial. And he's more glorified by us being satisfied with him, even in the midst of sickness. The second level of healing, not only is there physical healing, there is also spiritual healing because Jesus' great hope for this man whom he healed, whom he gave the ability to walk and gave new capacity, new strength, new ability, new restored to this man after 38 years of paralysis, restored the ability to walk. Jesus' great hope for him was to reconcile him to God that he would begin to walk in loyal love with God, that he would walk in trusting obedience to the ways of God, that he would live his life in a reconciled relationship with the Father. Jesus, in fact, meets this man, right? And he says, change the trajectory of your life. The trajectory of your life has been one away from God, one of ignoring God, one of indifference to God, one of maybe active rebellion to God, neglect of God. And he invites him into a life of loyal love. He says, go and stop your way of sinning. He invites him to a life of repentance, a life of changing the trajectory of his life. Instead of running away from God to turn towards God. Now, I mentioned that this is a sign. Now, a sign always points beyond itself, right? No one takes a trip to the Grand Canyon and then takes pictures of the sign that says Grand Canyon and turns around and goes home. No, the, the sign is not the point. The, the sign points to the point. It is directing your attention and informing what's really happening here. And so the, the pictures that you take are of the Grand Canyon, not the signs of the Grand Canyon. And so, well, this, this sign here obviously demonstrates for us that Jesus has authority and power to physically heal. It's pointing beyond itself to, uh, to a greater reality, a deeper reality. That not only does Jesus have power and authority, authority to restore health and strength and capacity to this man, that he wants to restore people to God. That he wants to to give new capacities to love God, to walk in relationship with God, to experience life in fellowship with God, in relationship with God as God intended when he made us. Jesus uh, says, and look at verse 20. He says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he's doing and will show him greater works than these so that you'll be amazed. And just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he wants. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, I tell you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. 
For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. Just like he has the power to restore strength to this man, just as he has the, strength, the authority and the power to restore uh, the ability and capacity to walk to this man, so Jesus has the power to make those who are dead to God alive to God. Those whose hearts were beating for all kinds of other things, whether for power, whether for, for health, whether for wealth and popularity, comfort, pleasures, position, or fame. Our hearts beat for those things, right? We're alive to those things. But we live lives of neglect of God, of, of indifference to God, of maybe times, sometimes active rebellion against God, believing that his way is, is wrong for us. Our hearts aren't beating for God and for his glory and for his kingdom. And we're actually incapable of, of walking, of speaking, he, of, of, of having our hearts beat for him. We're, we're not able to, to bring new spiritual life for ourselves. We can't forgive our own sins. We can't give ourselves. Um, but Jesus can speak a word, and this man can walk, and he can make us alive to him. He has come to bring new spiritual life. And when Jesus brings new spiritual life to us, it feels like a healing. It feels like a restoration to say, oh, this is what life to the full is. This is abundant life. This is eternal life. This is truly life. I've been living for all kinds of things. I've been living for fame or I've been living to accumulate some wealth and things or experiences or popularity or fame or whatever. And now... My eyes are open. I can see what's really real. And as Jesus speaks a word and he, he calls me to live for his glory and for his kingdom, the experience is like that of a healing, of a, of a, of a restoration of this is what I was made for. This is truly life. This is life to the full. You see, you and I are unable to deal with our the guilt and the shame of our sin. We're unable to forgive our own sin. We're unable to reconcile ourselves to God. And so we're helpless like this man at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. We're unable to begin to make ourselves love God and his ways and his kingdom. But the good news is that Jesus has come to restore us, to heal us. He's our healer. Now, sometimes that happens suddenly. Like a, like, a, like a bolt of lightning. Like Jesus speaking the word and immediately this man begins to walk. Sometimes it's a slower process of, C.S. Lewis describes his conversion to Jesus as, a, as, a, as someone waking up from a sleep. And, and I love that picture because um, people wake up differently. I have been married to uh, Sherry for, for a while and she and I wake up in the morning very differently. Sherry opens her eyes, and boom, she's up. Out of bed, making coffee, she's up. For me, waking up is a process. Like I'm, It takes me a good half hour, usually, for, for me to begin to rouse and to, to become awake to, uh, to the world that's going on around us. And, 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 we, and I love that picture because... Becoming awake and becoming revived spiritually and becoming renewed in relationship with God 
happens differently for us. Sometimes it's really gradual, slowly but surely. Just you become aware of your need and aware of your own insufficiency. And you see the sufficiency of Jesus and you become aware of your sin or of the idols of your, of your heart. These are, this is what I'm really living for. This is what I'm loving. And you begin to see, oh, man, this is, this is life. This is, Jesus is good. Jesus is beautiful. He's the, he's the Savior. You begin to see your own inadequacy, either suddenly or sometimes slowly, and your eyes wake up. And Jesus, it says in Isaiah 53, this great song of the servant, by his stripes we are healed. He restores us to what we were designed for, to live with relationship with God. So we have physical healing, we have spiritual healing that Jesus has come to restore us to God. But we also hear in this passage, I love this, has, we have the healing of all things. You see, Jesus intentionally went out of his way to heal this man on the Sabbath day. Now, that was obviously frowned upon by the religious leaders because in response to Jesus doing that, they plotted his murder. Right? They said, we'll see your healing and we'll raise you a murder. So obviously they're fairly bent out of shape about this. Now, the Sabbath day for the Jewish religious leaders of the day, um, they had the command of God, honor the Sabbath day. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't do any work on the Sabbath. That's the rule. That's the command. That's the law. Don't work on the Sabbath. Rest like God rested on the seventh day. So what these religious leaders did is they, they took that law and said, well, we better not work. So what constitutes work? And so uh, they built a fence around that law and said, and they built a fence around the fence and a fence around that fence because they didn't want to cross this first fence. And so they had rules like, this is how many steps you can take in a day. This is, this is what you can carry on that day. This is, these are the things that are allowed. All to prevent them from breaking that inner law, don't do any work on the Sabbath, they put rule upon rule upon rule upon rule and made these heavy burdens and missed the heart of the matter. These religious nitpicks were not celebrating the miracle, not celebrating the restoration of strength and capacity to this man. They were plotting murder. Now, it's intentional. I said, uh, Jesus went out of his way. He did this many times, actually, to, to do good things on the Sabbath. And to, in some ways, pick a fight with the religious leaders of the day. But Jesus says, listen to this, keeping in mind this is the Sabbath. On the Sabbath day, you shouldn't do any work. Jesus responds, verse 17, My father is still working, and I am working also. This is really intentional. Jesus has something to say here. And it's, it goes back to the, the Genesis, Genesis account of creation. That it says in six days, God's made, God made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And on the seventh day, he rested. He rejoiced in and delighted in all that he had made. Because what he had made was very good. It was a, the perfect creation, right? The shalom of, of this Hebrew word that we sometimes translate peace, but really means flourishing and completeness, wholeness, health, prosperity, goodness. Everything living in harmony, everything uh, 
operating in the way that God intended when he made it. But sin entered this world and shatters the shalom. It, it vandalizes the very good creation of God. And the fabric of creation begins to unravel. And what really the scriptures are is a story of God rising up to work to restore his good creation. To begin the work of new creation. That, that in the very beginning of the Bible, we have the story of God creating the world. And the rest of the scripture is the work of God in restoring his creation to the very good. To heal everything that was wounded by sin. To repair it and restore it. And so Jesus, there was no better day for him to do this miracle of healing than on the Sabbath day. Because Jesus is rising up to join his father in the work of new creation. I was really moved, actually, this uh, Easter season, uh, especially on Holy Saturday, the day between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, the day that Jesus was in the tomb. And I was stirred, really, by a, a song by Andrew Peterson called God Rested. And it's taking this idea that on the seventh day, God rested, that, that uh, he made everything. He worked the six days of creation, made everything, and on the seventh day, he rested. And as God then works, is beginning the work of new creation, the, the work of healing his creation, of healing humanity from the, the disease and the infection of sin and the corruption of sin, he on the cross on the sixth day cries, it is finished, and on the seventh day, he rested. He rests in the tomb. He does no work. He's really fulfilling the Sabbath law for us there as he, as, as, as really nothing is happening on that day. He's dead in the tomb. God rested. And I love that picture. But God is rising up out of his rest to begin the work of new creation. And Jesus says, look at verse 28 and 29. Of John, I'll turn there eventually. John chapter 5, 28. Don't be amazed at this because the time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just because I do not seek my will, but the will of him who sent me. You see, Jesus says that there is a reckoning that is coming. That when he returns, at the return of Jesus, which is coming any day now, that we await for his return, his imminent return, there will be a reckoning. That all wrongs will be put right. That everything that has fallen will be lifted up. That everything that's been broken by sin will be put back together. That everything that has been wounded and infected and corrupted by sin will be healed, that he will renew and restore all creation through the way he intended when he made it. And that those who, who have joined with Jesus and walked with him in loyal love and trusting obedience will be raised to life. And, but those who have, who have sided against Jesus, those who have participated in the system of the world and, and participated in the evil of sin, and live for themselves, and live for their own glory, and their own fame, and the here and the now, will be raised up to a resurrection unto judgment. And Jesus says there will be a, uh, there will be a reckoning, where every injustice will be paid for, 
where God will put to rights everything that has been broken by sin, that every injustice and everything that's caused hatred and oppression and cruelty and suffering will be put to right and justice will be done, that when the dust settles, when the smoke clears at the end of all things, there will be a reckoning and there will be a healing. He will put all things right. An ultimate healing is coming. You see, friends, as followers of Jesus, we look forward to a never-ending happy ending. That, that, the, that the, the narrative of this world, the story of this world is moving towards a never-ending happy ending. And we look forward to that, that a healing is coming, an ultimate healing is coming, and that this healing of this man at the pool of Bethesda is but a little taste of what this world is destined for. When there will be no more sickness and no more sorrow, when there will be no more diseases and no more pandemics, when there will be no more death and no more crying, when there will be no more injustice or hatred or sorrow and, 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 and hatred and cruelty, there, all of that will be done away with at the end of all things as Jesus returns to heal his creation, to restore us, not only to God, but to one another and to all creation so that we would live in harmony and shalom and peace and joy and wholeness. And this healing of this, man, blind, of this paralytic man at Bethesda is but a dress rehearsal for the day when all things will be healed, restored, and renewed. I, I, I came across Amos chapter 9 uh, this week. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When the plowman will overtake the reaper. You get that? The plowman will overtake the reaper. The one who treads grapes, the sower of seed. This world is going to be so abundant and flourishing that we won't know when it's planting season and harvesting season because it's just all happening at once. It's, it's so abundant. The mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people. They'll rebuild and occupy ruined cities, plant vineyards and drink their wine, make gardens and eat their produce. I will plant them on their land and they'll never be again up, be uprooted from the land I've given them. The Lord your God has spoken. There is coming a day of healing of all creation. And you and I, friends, if we put our trust in Jesus and walk in faithful and loyal love with him, will be part of it, that you and I will be healed and restored to what God intended for us. So how do we respond to Jesus, our healer today? Well, first, we ask him to heal us. It's day by day. Restore us. Keep changing me, Jesus. Transform me by your power and your authority, by your grace and your goodness. Heal me. Heal me physically. Heal me mentally and emotionally. Heal me spiritually. Let me walk in right relationship with you, with the Father. Help me walk with you. Heal me today. And then make me an agent of healing in this world. So that we, as the church of Jesus Christ, would work together to bring that coming kingdom, which is in the future, and pull that into the present. And we say the coming kingdom, there will be no more disease. And so we work together against disease. In the coming kingdom, there will be no more poverty. And so we work together for justice for the poor. The coming kingdom, there will be no ignorance of God. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. 
And so we work to dispel ignorance of God and we proclaim the gospel and say, be reconciled to God. God is not an angry judge. He's a loving father. There is a way for you to be reconciled with God. And so it's through Christ. And so we share the gospel and we tell this world that God is a father, that God is the creator, that he's for them and not against them. His heart is, is a heart of love, that God is love. And so we dispel every argument that sets itself up against God and we, we tear those down and we, we come against the devil and his work that, that, that seeks to continually corrupt creation and systems of the world and, and everything. And we come with the truth and in the power and the love of Jesus to pull the characteristics of this coming kingdom into the very present reality. And so we live for the kingdom that's to come, that is already here, that's already breaking out. Jesus said, as he walked the earth, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent. Turn, change your mind, change your trajectory, and believe, trust, walk in loyal love and trusting obedience to Jesus and his word. Would you pray with me? And so, Father in heaven, thank you for this beautiful picture and throughout the scripture and illustrated here at the pool of Bethesda by Jesus, your son, that, that you've come to heal. That you're not a God who loves to inflict but you're a God who loves to heal and restore. And so with that beautiful picture of Jesus as our healer, be a solace to us today. May we rest in that today. That may we take joy in that today. And Father, would you speak to us? Open our eyes to see how, what call you have for us, for as individuals, as groups, and as churches. To, to pull the coming kingdom into the present so that others may come to experience Jesus as their healer, as the one who has power over, a, to, over sickness, over injury, over disease, as the one who reconciles us to God, makes us alive to God, restores our capacity to relate with God, and as the one who one day will heal all creation. And we long for that, that day when Jesus will hear you say, Behold, I'm making all things new. And so we say and respond to you, Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Come into our, into our churches. Come into our families. Come into our neighborhoods. Come into our hearts. And return. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, to usher in your kingdom of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. We look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you today.